It's episode eight of the Desert League. D-backs take the wild card. The Desert League coming up next. Hey, hey, it's episode eight of the Desert League, the Smash the Colorado Rockies and BLA edition. This is Ward Andrews in the North Bureau, and we've got Sean Fitzpatrick from the South Bureau. Hey, have we done seven of these things already? Yeah. Wow. I guess when you're having fun, it's a habit of it. Yeah, it doesn't seem like so many when you're having fun. And boy, talking about fun, last night was fun. Yeah. Sean and I were in the house at Chase Field, sitting there in Section 317, upper deck, looking over home plate, and watched probably one of the best baseball games I've ever witnessed in the history of my life and baseball in general. Yeah, I would say I would say in person it's it's definitely right up there with uh uh I, I would have to put it uh, for me it's always going to be the the Tucson Toros when I was the official scorer winning the Pacific Coast League in dramatic fashion uh, many years ago in in Tucson at High Corbett Field. But I have to say that just in as far as sheer numbers, energy, excitement, drama, you know, it it's definitely right up there. Probably, I would say that's probably my my second most exciting baseball game in person. Oh man, the adrenaline rush of Gold Goldie walking up to the plate with fifty thousand fans chanting MVP and having him crush the ball into deep left field and just a sound that erupted out of the stadium that hadn't been heard probably since 2001. Uh, that, that made my week. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. He, he was definitely the opening salvo, but the, the moment that we're always going to remember and that <laughs> like literally my jaw dropped and I know, you know, it just, just, unfathomable excitement was when Archie Bradley stepped to the plate and man, you gotta, you gotta fear the beard when he stroked one there over the surprise heads of the Colorado Rockies left and center fielders for that amazing triple. And for a guy six, four with a beard that big, to be able to coast in <laughs> with a triple, I think if, if, if he doubled, it would be okay. That's pretty exciting. You know, that was pretty amazing. But the fact that he tripled in two runs to give that very needed extra cushion for the D back is just beyond comprehension to me. Yeah, yeah. He he pushed himself to the max to get that triple. I almost wonder if that's why he was a little shaky after that because he, I know, he definitely you, exerted himself. I know you're 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 just sitting there and you're you're wanting the the fairy tale ending, you know the uh, the relief pitcher, uh, you know with with all of his flamboyant you know uh, gestures and and all that, you know strokes a triple, then comes back out, shuts down the Rockies, gets the win, and you know the D-backs live happily ever after and 
go on hopefully, you know, to sweep the, the Dodgers. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I think he was a bit winded after that triple and then gave up those back-to-back uh, dingers there in the following inning, showing that it's a good thing he helped his own cause because otherwise he would have <laughs> – I mean, who knows? If he hadn't hit the triple, maybe he doesn't give up the home runs. But, you know, you can play what it could have, should have. He did what he needed to do at the time that he needed to do it. Yeah. And I think that was the first triple by a relief pitcher in the postseason in MLB history. You are correct. You are absolutely correct. That is the first triple. And what what's great is just the visuals of the whole thing. You know, the, uh, the video highlight, it, it's going to be a recognizable uh, hit and play and reaction, you know, for definitely within Diamondbacks history, but also in baseball history. That's that's going to show up in all kinds of montages just because that was a made-for-TV moment. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me about the fact that it was historic is that I think the reason it was historic was because Major League Baseball has created something new here. They've created this one game wild card playoff where you're going to throw every reliever, every batter, everything you can at this one game to make sure you win. And everyone's going to go all out because there is no tomorrow. And so they've created this unique setting in which people are playing at their most peak performance level. And it was, I think that's why it was one of the most exciting games I've ever watched. And I, I know you can't transform the game and make everything a one-game playoff, but that was high-octane baseball. That was the equivalent of arena baseball, right? Well, like everything yeah. was on track. Well, and, let's, uh, let's, I love I it. Think, yeah, I think you make an excellent point. We talked a little bit about it beforehand, the fact that it's winner-takes-all, and, and the fact that both managers you know, had to play winner-take-all I mean, I'm I'm looking at my score sheet here, and the Rockies threw eight pitchers last night. The D-backs threw six pitchers, and it was basically, hey, let's empty the bullpen. It's all out there. They both teams left everything on the field at that point. And you're right. That baseball's gotten the knock over the years for taking too long, being too slow. And you know what? It, it, as you were saying this, and for the first time I realized this, it gave last night a March Madness feel because you don't you don't get this event or you don't get this type of excitement in anything other than the Super Bowl or you know the NFL playoffs because those are one and done, and and those are one and done by necessity because you just can't have guys beating up each other in a series, you know, in football. But there is something to the fact that, hey, that one game, winner takes all. And you look at things, you know, areas like the NBA where you've got players complaining the season is too long and they're even talking about shortening the season. And I realize this will never happen because of advertising dollars, but imagine if you took the NBA playoffs, maybe had more teams and and did a seeding like March Madness, and every game was for everything. The level of excitement. I mean, I think I think if anything, baseball could even go more in this direction. I mean, yeah. imagine if you took if you took a March Madness format to everything and had more teams involved, and you know you had the worst team playing the best team, and 
and did that because you're right. It was it was a feeling like the first round of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and with baseball, there's so many games. I think the what happens is the chemistry of that is that there's so much dilution of what an individual game is worth that you're half interested. I mean, everyone was stressing out in the eighth inning and we're up two runs or whatever it was. People were seriously stressed out, right? Managers are making crazy decisions. Guys are pushing for triples. Everybody's doing everything they can to try to hang in there or get that one extra run or that one extra base. And it only comes from a baseball game with a winner-take-all mentality. I just loved it. Probably the yeah, best baseball I, game I've ever seen. Ever. Oh, yeah. It was it was just phenomenal. And, and, and driving home last night, I was listening to some of the national uh, radio call-in shows and talking to the analysts, the guys who called the game, talking about just um, amazed at the, um, the volume of the crowd, which was certainly amplified by the roof being closed. But – Everybody was everybody around the country was just really talking about how you know the fans really raised the noise level. Although you know the one critique, and this is always a critique of Arizona fans, whether it's Phoenix or Tucson, is seeing the people heading for the exits with a one-run lead that we knew was just not you know not a sure thing. And right. if anything, we've got to we've got to just shout out to Arizona to D-backs fans and say. Listen, stay to the end, man. You're going to hit a bunch of traffic anyway. Like, you got to represent. You just can't have all these fans heading for the exit before the game's over. Yeah. Yep, I, I agree on both counts. Fans showed up. They were loud. They were engaged. And, and they were informed. I was really impressed with how well the fans knew when to be loud. I mean, sure, they prompt you on the screen, but they don't always. The fans knew when to be loud, when things mattered, when little things were big things. All of that was great. But, yeah, eighth, ninth inning, we've got people walking out, and I just thought, uh, uh, you know, to what end? To get yeah. five minutes sooner? But Yeah, and, and you know, and, and on, on the knowledge front, um, you know, I definitely, um, you know, agree with you. The fans were very knowledgeable, and – you know, for and that, as you know, I, 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 having been an official scorer for years and years, it's like I can't watch a game without keeping a scorebook, and I was keeping mine manually the way I do, um, you know, with with a score sheet. And I would say that it was probably the toughest game as an official scorer um, that I've ever kept a book for because of all you know. We had some double switches in there. We had you know, lots of pitching changes, and then who gets the earned run. And I'm going to call out very briefly one one thing, and I went and checked this, that from, from a scoring perspective should be a controversy, is not a controversy, and I'm going to call it out. This is exclusive here on Desert League because I checked the rule. I still do not understand, do not understand why Chafin gets the win. If somebody's listening and understands this because – Obviously, Grinky. without going into too much of the weeds, I could take up probably the rest of our time talking about the rule and all that, and I'm not going to do that. But bottom line is Grinky did not go five innings, so he did not qualify for the win. So the official scorer gets to, to decide, essentially, who pitched most effectively. 
So what I'm doing is I'm questioning. So here's the scenario. You tell me. So Chafin comes in after, um, you know, essentially, you know, Granky has given up four runs. He comes up with the tying run at the plate, runner on first, and faces, you know, his first batter, Blackman, a danger, gets him to fly out, ends the inning, ends the threat. And he's done. One batter. Robbie Ray comes in, you know, who they're hoping to keep, you know, for the Dodgers, but, again, they're emptying the bullpen. He pitches an inning and a third. I mean, he blows away the first two guys he faces, has a 1-2-3 inning, um, you know, his first inning out. Second inning out, faces the minimum, you know, gives up a base hit but gets a double play, gets a little bit of trouble, you know, gives up a run, strikes out a guy, and then is lifted. But, you know, he pitches two – he pitches two and a third inning, gives up one run, but, you know, really – get the D-backs through a stretch that they needed to get through. So I am of the opinion that Robbie Ray should get the W, especially because he's ruined for games one and two. Maybe he comes back for game two against the Dodgers, but I just do not get giving Chafin the win after one-third of an inning pitch. Yeah. You know, I agree with your logic, and I just have to assume you and I are missing some element of the rules or of scorekeeping etiquette or something, but I doubt it because you're one of the most knowledgeable guys in baseball scorekeeping I know and probably in the state of Arizona. And so I would love for someone to call in, email in, let us know what the deal is. Because we're so, looking I, at Robbie Ray for the win. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet this out. And, and again, if, if this is a teachable moment for me, so be it. But I went back, I checked the Major League Baseball rule, and it hasn't been changed. I didn't want to get fooled like they did on this wild card one-game thing that, you know, just because I hadn't been paying attention. But it seems like the rule is still the same. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet out this question, and if somebody can make a compelling argument or cite the rule that gives Chafin the win. Again, hey, I love, love Chafin, love the fact that he came in and did that, but Man, you gotta you gotta give and and I just love the fact I'm sure the players love the fact that at you know, just how quickly he works. I mean he just gets in there and he gets it done and he just came in and went after these guys and um you know, I, I feel like uh he's getting kinda lost in the shuffle there. Yeah. Great point. Hey Sean, when you tweet that out, link to our podcast so Absolutely. that people can hear hear your take on how you've outlined all the reasons why Robbie Ray should have that winning pitcher recorded for that wild, wild card game last night. That, that's a very good point. In fact, I will, uh, I will, I will at least mention the, the minute point in the podcast, if, not, if we don't have the ability to link directly to this moment. But, again, you know, the reason I love keeping a scorebook is because it allows me to kind of go inside the game and – you know, really follow what's going on and really appreciate it much more. And that's why I've done this ever since I was in high school, even when I wasn't getting paid to do it. And I think when you keep a book, you start to see things that you don't see when you're just watching the game. Oh, yeah. And, Sean, I sat right next to you, watched you score that game. I loved watching all the detail as you were notating it. And I was I was glancing over your shoulder a few times to kind of see – how batters had done and what the story was behind some of the runs that we had scored. 
and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. So I'll go to a baseball game with you anytime. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Ward, and and I I enjoyed getting your insights and you know seeing uh, seeing the game from from your perspective because uh, you definitely you had a you had a couple good calls there like right before they happened of uh, <laughs> it, you know hey this is going to happen and uh, <laughs> it, it was uh, it's always fun watching baseball with people who know the game. Yeah, you know it was, there was a funny thing that went on in that game. And I don't know if it was the angle at which we were watching it, but we were saying it the whole game. We felt that the plate umpire was really struggling with that left corner of the of the plate. Like very inconsistently calling it. We can see the ball going over the plate or not from where we're at, but it felt really strange. I feel like Paul Goldschmidt really got robbed consistently on those inside-the-plate pitches. But we weren't watching it on TV, or we didn't have the benefit of the box and the circle. So I was wondering uh, if you had any insight into that, Sean. Was that just where we were sitting, or was there some inconsistency in that corner of the plate? Well, it, it certainly looked that way. And, and from our position, I mean, I, I, you know, our eyes are always the things that deceive us. But we, we, we had a pretty good perspective and an angle on that you know in this day and age when everything is electronically placed and and i'm sure we can actually go in and and look at this a little bit in the pitch by pitch for example in like the espn app you can look batter by batter and usually i think they they even show when things are called when pitches are called strikes that are out of the zone. Uh, I have to go back and check that, but it, it that's one of the that's one of the things we love about baseball is being able to second guess the umpire. And you bring up a good point that the technology is to a point that many people are saying that we should take balls and strikes away from the umpire and just let it be electronically scored, allow the umpire to still call the outs. I'm kind of mixed on that. I'm, I am a purist, and even when I'm talking about these one-game, you know, playoff situation, I would never, for example, want to see a March Madness tournament format for baseball. And, you know, I would never want to see uh, the NL go to a designated hitter and the AL give up the designated hitter. And one of the things that I would really struggle with is taking balls and strikes away from the umpire, you know? It's always been a right? So I have mixed feelings. So here are my thoughts. I have mixed feelings. There's a pro, there's a con, and I think there might be some middle ground. So the pro is the same as yours in terms of being pro, pure, human, judged baseball. You know, the, it's all, the guy that's in the stands that gets to yell at the ump because the ump doesn't know what's up i mean that's just kind of part of the fun of the game uh it's a little harder when it's a one game wild card to to see that stuff but but normally it's okay um so that's the pro like it's just kind of the the analog nature of the game the the con to me is you look at like university of arizona baseball two years ago there's a call at the plate where arizona is safe the glove is about, you know, a half foot away from the player, and he's called out, and that changes the course of the game and probably steals 
a World Series champion, college World Series championship from Arizona. So that's like the worst case on the other side. And I wonder if there's a middle ground where as augmented reality becomes better and you have goggles or contact lenses that can overlay information for you, if a umpire can have the benefit of that, get a reading, and then still be able to make the call. What do you yeah, think, Yeah, that's, that, that's an interesting perspective. And, and, yeah, you're absolutely right, you know, uh, because that was, that was extremely painful to be – and I was watching that, you know, that whole Arizona baseball series with friends, and, and we had a big debate. And, and, of course, you go back to and you console yourself and say, well, if we'd taken care of business in that game otherwise, that would not have been the defining play. But, you know, as sports fans and enthusiasts, no. so much is built on, like, every microsecond. And, and you look at NFL replay where, you know, they're doing ten times magnification to see if a guy is in, you know, on the second play of the game. It's almost, you know, it's almost where things are. Although now that we have incorporated replay into so many things, and so your your example maybe makes more sense to allow an an umpire to do something in real time versus some of the things and the criticism and blowback we're getting, you know, through football and also through baseball in the amount of time that replay takes. And I think that's probably what you're going to see. And I think you touched on a really great thing. And, and us working with within technology, I think, you know, it makes a lot of sense to us is doing an overlay of technology in real time, in the real world, as that technology improves. I think we're going to look back on replay some someday as a really, you know, kind of um, quaint, archaic way of using <laughs> yeah. technology, you know. And I think you have a really good point. Yes, there's good. I agree. There's good. Yeah, because I do. I do think yeah, that there, different umpires have a different perception of what the strike zone should be beyond just what the rule says. And as long as they're consistent, if that augmented reality could show him, hey, you called that pitch a ball, um, you know, two innings ago. And I think that's all that players are looking for, and managers and fans is just be consistent. Right. Right. And there's easy ways to do that with augmented reality. You could ghost the ball silhouette from where you called it the last time and see how that compares. Um, Absolutely. And, and know, actually, <laughs> yeah, I, I think going. it's really, and while you're well, just... going, I'm going to do something really funny on our podcast. While you keep going, I am going to order something from Sonic at the drive-thru. So keep going. <laughs> Hey, this is like, uh, you know, Jerry Seinfeld doing comedians ordering coffee. So, yeah, go ahead, go ahead and order from Sonic, and I'll, and I'll talk about this, because I think you've created the algorithm already just, just in what you've been saying, which is the augmented reality glasses that the umpire is wearing would basically be off at the beginning of the game. And what you do is the algorithm establishes a base template how the umpire is calling balls and strikes. So basically, you know, at the beginning, it maybe shows, okay, you've just established this outside corner is a strike and then it goes away. And then it doesn't come up in, you know, in the field of vision for the umpire until something comes up 
in that same area, and it says, okay, I'm just giving you a heads up that this is not, you know, where the established legal strike zone is, but you called this a strike before. So before you make your call here in this next split second, just know last time this ball was here, you called it a strike. And that could be a way of evaluating umpires, too, to see if they're being consistent with themselves. Because I do, I do think that there is a, the human nature, the human element part of it. And any player, and I, and I used to talk to players when, when I was official scorer for AAA for the Tucson Toros, and they would say every umpire has their own kind of comfort zone with what the strike zone is. And after you're in the league for a while, you know this guy has a tight strike zone, and the pitchers know this still. And you also know this guy's horrible. He's never consistent. And I think I don't think anybody would complain about different strike zones as long as they're consistent with themselves. And that could be a great way to do that. Did I give you enough time to yeah, order? I agree. Oh, hold on. Oh, uh, man. Uh, I'd like a cherry Coke. And can you add some pop rock candy in there? I'll get a medium and a order of mozzarella sticks. Uh, six. What? We're we're nope, just gonna listen. It. We're just gonna listen to Ward's sonic order. Thanks. I, All right. So that's my order, everybody. Well, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> ask you about the cherry coke with the pop rocks. What's 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 up with the Dude. pop rocks? What what does that do? Yeah, it just it it's awesome. It's sitting there in the cup holder, and it's talking to you while you're driving or whatever. And then you're like, hey, it's like popping. It's like, hey, don't forget about me. Keep drinking <laughs> your soda, my man. <laughs> so it's it's like uh, it's like having like a little cheering section in your cup. Exactly. It's like uh, Rice Krispies. <laughs> it's like having a snack. So, so is that something you have? So is that Sonic exclusive? Is it something that you just, that they offer that you discovered? Or is this something that you came up with on your own? Uh, I wish I could claim it because it's genius. But um, they've got it. They don't call them nerds, which is like the cool brand name. They just call them Pop Rock Candies. Well, I love so, that. I um, love that awesome. name. If you... If you haven't had it, you should try it. And it's really cool when the Pop Rocks come up through the straw, and it's like you get a little piece of candy with your drink. I highly recommend it. Okay, so so since we're talking about drive-through, you know, special orders here, I, I'm just going to drop one quick one. Because for me, I've, I'm a little subtler on my kind of colorful combinations, but I will say when I go, and this is probably, this is very boring compared to your Pop Rocks thing, but but I do love ordering the Neapolitan shake at the In-N-Out Burger off of the uh, off of the secret menu. It's, it's you know it's not necessarily Dude. the most exciting secret menu item, but I love getting that you know that chocolate vanilla strawberry all mixed up, and uh, you know it just gives you like a nice smooth transition from whatever bad thing is happening in your day. Yeah, I didn't even know that existed. Oh yeah, you gotta that, get you gotta I get a, something new. Oh yeah, you gotta get a new and 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 I gotta try the I gotta try the Pop Rocks at Sonic just because it it sounds so awesome. And so so I'm oh, also wondering as as we're doing our episode eight, 
I'm wondering if part of the reason that we're extending out the D-backs part of this of this program and and getting into the into the drive-through order um, tips is that we're trying to avoid having to talk about anything other than the Diamondbacks as far as Arizona sports. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Because um, I, I, I know I am. Uh, I am. I'm, I'm trying to avoid talking about anything except for the Diamondbacks, and I would much rather talk about our suggestions for secret drive-through uh, orders than to talk about anything else. I'm just on the record. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> let's let's spend a little more time on secret menu items, and then I do want to. I do need to give a shout out to Larry Fitzgerald um, for his catch to win the game in overtime, because that was classic Larry. And then we do need to talk about Sean Miller just a little bit in Arizona, but we'll come back to that. So hang tight, folks. If you want sports talk, it's gonna be about five minutes away. Because we're talking about secret menu items. So, yes. So I did not know about the Neapolitan shake, although it makes total sense. But I do know about animal style, which most people oh, know yeah. about it in and out. Preach, but, preach, brother. But preach did you on know animal style. About... Oh, dude, you just dropped off. Did, did, did you know about what? Oh, I lost you. Are you back? Oh, I'm back. Sorry. Okay. okay. That that was that was a cliffhanger right there. Okay. So you cut <laughs> off at least for me. I don't know for our listeners, but you cut off for me at did you know about? Oh, that was perfect. <laughs> no. <laughs> did you know about animal style fries? Yeah, I I think I've heard about it and if I remember correctly, it seems like it might be a little gross to me. But 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 Talk up the animal style fries. What 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 is that about again? All right. Do you hear that snap crackle pop? Oh it oh I do. Yeah. That's my cherry coke with pop rock candy. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. I'm telling you. No, so animal style fries are okay. It's just they take like the fried onions and they take the cheese and they take some sauce and they kinda of pour it all on top of the fries. And those are good. And then there's the protein style where they get rid of the bun and you just do the lettuce. And then, you know, you can do two by two, three by three, four by four. You can do all that. Oh, yeah, I got to do that. I forgot about the two by two, three by three, four by four. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's some of the goodness. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on some of my other menu item secrets. But I'm sure you've got more, Sean. Enlighten me. Well, I mean, they, I am I am proud to say that I I have been able to, with a great deal of difficulty, cut back on my uh, drive-through fare. Um, so in and out kind of remains my my guilty pleasure. Although occasionally, when my band has a gig that ends at midnight, I'm really hungry, and the only thing that is available, I'll go through Carl's Jr. I will give a shout out to Carl's Jr. for their burgers. Those are pretty good. I, I don't even want to. I, I try not to look at what the calories are on those things, but um, those are delicious. I don't know if Carl's Jr. or anybody else has a secret menu, but um, but yeah, the ones you were talking about for In and Out are, are really good. And I forgot about the two by two, three by three, 
four by four. I got to remember that for the future. And I never, I never have done animal style, but it, for some reason now, as you were describing, it doesn't sound as bad as what I thought it was. I can't remember oh, what it was. Do it, do it. <laughs> I mean, the classic order for me is double, double animal style, no pickle. And, and you actually want to say it in that sequence because that's how the point of sale machine takes it in. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what I love about this is it sounds like you're it sounds like you're a quarterback calling a football play. Notice I'm giving you a segue into your Larry Fitzgerald moment. But 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 when you say double double animal style with a pick, you know, a double double animal style pickle, then I I dare you to say next time on 3. <laughs> All right, we'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> but then I'll probably end up with three of those. I don't know if I can eat that much. <laughs> well, make sure you have two other people in the car with you. <laughs> yeah. And that I'm one of them. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, we could probably take care of it if it was just the two of us. We could probably take care of three of those. All right. Um, so we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll talk about Larry. OT, Larry Fitzgerald, Hall of Fame receiver. I mean, Carson Palmer, he has no offensive line. Give them credit. They really did give him a slight amount of time in overtime. And he just he just sees Larry cutting across the middle. He's like, I'm throwing the jump ball. So he throws essentially a lofting, high-arching ball that's just going right in Larry's vicinity. And then Larry does the rest. He kind of bodies out two guys, grabs the ball, touchdown, game over. Go Cardinals. I love it. No, hey, that's fantastic, and hey, I love all things fit, um, and you know, definitely love Larry Fitzgerald. My my problem with Cardinals games is I have such a hard time getting through all the rest of the game to even get to that moment in overtime. It's just so it's just so demoralizing to watch, and yeah. uh, but you know, I feel so badly for. Um, you know, for Larry, I feel badly for, for Carson Palmer. I feel badly for Bruce Arians. I like all those guys. And uh, I just, that, that offensive line, you know, it's just not doing, it's not doing the job. And I'm trying to think of another wide receiver, you know, great wide receiver who has uh, suffered like, you know, Larry Fitzgerald has. And, and I, I guess the only the only guy I could think of that comes to mind in recent years is maybe Megatron from uh, you know from the Detroit oh, yeah. Lions, who is you know just like all world, but you know can never. And, and I realize that that's not completely true for Larry because you know Cardinals have had a few a few glory years with him, but but it just seems that for such a talent that he is, that it's it's just an injustice for him to only get like these these random little bright spots every once in a while. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, that when the way Dallas took apart the Cardinals on Monday Night Football a couple of weeks ago, it was just like, it's just a line. There's just nothing else. You just not, they snap the ball. It's only a three-man rush from Dallas, and they're, <laughs> they're, sacking the, they're sacking the quarterback. And I'm just like, okay. I mean, just expectations for the season are really low. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely low for me. Yeah. Well, should we switch over to uh, Arizona basketball briefly? Yeah, I guess we probably should. Yeah. So, 
we are we've already seen some impact of this stuff. Uh, Nasir Little, who was leaning Arizona, and who was named as the guy that Arizona supposedly paid 150 grand to, um, he committed to North Carolina last night. And he was a strong Arizona lean. He was coming. He was going to come to the red and blue game. But you know, when there's this rumor out there that Arizona's paid you, and you know, and your dad is is campaigning on Twitter to let everyone who will listen know that no one accepted a payment and Arizona didn't do anything, you, you pretty much can't go to Arizona just because you don't want the drama of that, even though it didn't happen. So that was pretty yeah. painful. That was pretty painful. And then, so Miller, he did go ahead and, and he did his, his, and he just said, you know, this was booked, this wasn't us. Uh, he had to say something, so he did that. He had to be ready because with Pac-12 Media Day, you know, he had to have some statement there so that he could refer back to it. Um, but then what I, I liked is that, you know, the president of U of A comes out, He's like, hey, we back Sean Miller. He's a man of integrity. I mean, I think it was really good to see that the the school stood behind Miller. Uh, it's interesting. Early on, you had people like Dick Vitale kind of raging on Arizona because he wasn't really reading things. He was just listening to the scuttlebutt, and he was drawing conclusions and tweeting about how dirty and bad the Arizona program is. And a ton of people called him out on Twitter. And now he backed off. He's like, oh, I love Sean Miller. And it's like, whatever, we'll remember that. So uh, I don't know. I think Miller's done all he can do right now. I think Juve's done all they can do. I think they may lose some more recruits because of this. It's really awful because he had such momentum going. Um, but I think that Miller's going to survive. I, I've, I've had some people tell me some interesting things I'm not allowed to repeat. But I think that there's hope. Uh, for Miller and that this is isolated to Booker. Yeah. And I, you know, as, as you were kind of laying the groundwork here, I was just, I was just checking, you know, the Arizona daily stars live blog because um, Miller at the PAC 12 media day, you know, basically had his first press conference and, and, you know, the only reason that, you know, they're having a press conference is there's really no way out of it at this point. And the thing that's disappointing to me, because I personally am of the opinion that there's no way that Sean Miller could have known about this. I mean, even on a practical sense, it just makes no sense because he has very little to gain and a tremendous amount to lose, not to mention the fact that he's always presented himself as a man of integrity, you know, and done that. So I I am of the opinion, you know, unless presented with other hard evidence that, you know, he's trying to do the right thing, but it is really disappointing that, you know, it's taken more than a week, you know, for even the institution as a whole to come out. And I do think it's, it is a good sign that the institution is presenting a unified front, you know, from the president's office to the athletic director, to the coaching staff. And I do think it's good that, you know, the University of Arizona is taking a preemptive measure with the NCAA and doing its own internal investigation. And, you know, hopefully we'll go ahead and reveal, you know, whatever, you know, whatever skeletons are in the closet before the NCAA comes in and then comes up with, 
you know, some agreeable sanctions, but it just it just doesn't look good. In fact, you know, Greg Hansen from the Star, you know, the headline on his column, you know, says UA officials made a statement with their canned quotes and it's not a good one. And that's, you know, unfortunately when when it's looking like you're just being very measured and very strategic about how you're doing those, it just doesn't present a good a good look. It just doesn't make it look as transparent as it could be, you know? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Hanson for a minute. I, I'm kind of tired of his game, and I've been a huge fan. I've read his stuff for years. But he came out a couple weeks ago with Arizona should self, um, you know, self-police themselves. or And I'm like, what? We're not anywhere close to knowing anything. Why would they do that? And then he comes out with, Oh, yeah, they've just got a canned response. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, yeah, they they are, but we don't know. Book was on, Book was rogue, and now everybody's having to cover everything because Book was rogue. So let's talk about that. This isn't U of A's problem. This is Book's problem. And I know it's a PR problem for U of A, but why are the sports writers trying to create more drama than there is? I really don't like Hanson's take. And I know he's always been a guy who looks for what's wrong and tries to bring it out because it's like maybe it's good for a number of readers or something. But And I like Hanson generally and historically, but I have not been a fan of the way he's handled this one at all. Well, and I you know, I will say as a, as a former colleague of Greg Hanson working in the sports department and, and also having worked with Greg Hanson and being a part of the Arizona Daily Star sports department when the Khalid Reeves, uh, you know, controversy case was going on back in the Lute Olson years and, and where, you know, Lute Olson famously after that, that experience would no longer, you know, even speak to Greg Hansen. Uh, I think they've, they've since patched up, you know, patched it up. I'm not, I'm not quite certain about that, but um, I've, I've always been supportive of, you know, Hanson kind of questioning and, you know, giving a hard look at the program. And, and I, I support him in this case too. And I think it is, and there is, uh, there are kind of like two ways of going about it as a columnist or as a sports writer, especially as a columnist, because there is the danger that if, if you say anything too positive on a regular basis that you get accused, especially by your colleagues of being a cheerleader and just being a fan and then there's also the danger of going too far in the other direction, which you know, sometimes that may be the case for, for Greg, of wanting to make sure that everybody sees, you know, I'm not being an Arizona cheerleader. Uh, but I think, you know, for the most part, he really, you know, really does kind of toe the middle ground. And, you know, I haven't really seen anything so far that I think is out of line with with the comments that he's made about this current situation because it's, you know, I, I I don't I don't I don't think he's making something out of um something that's not there. I think the biggest thing is we don't know and he's he's asking those questions, which is what he's supposed to do. That's just my take. Yeah, I think what I'll do and that's good. I love that we can agree to disagree on something cuz we're pretty much always aligned. So this is good. Um I'm going to start saving his tweets and his articles so that I've got some specific ammo where I think he could take it a different direction. So just for future podcasts, I'll have a few Hanson quotes we can discuss. 
again, I think he's a professional. I think he's done a great job for a long time. He even published an, a letter I wrote to him once when I was a student. Um, I, I mean, I generally like the guy, but I just feel like he's looking for something. Maybe it's like slow news day or something. And he just feel like he's amplifying something that isn't Wait. like, isn't there. Like, I, I think this is a smaller deal than people are making it out to be. Well, you know, the, the other thing is we could, we could, I could probably get him to, uh, to join us as a guest on one of our desert league podcasts and, we can always have that conversation with him directly. So that might oh, be an option it. as well. That would be amazing. I'd love it. All right. Well, well, I can ask, I, I'll ask him at the next, uh, at the next uh, home football game, uh, which is a week from uh, a week from Saturday. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Well, we, we covered the D backs. We touched on the cards in Arizona. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot else to cover. I think what's going to be great and what's really interesting is that the D-backs are rolling into Dodger Stadium, and they are going to start lighting things up tomorrow night. What should we expect from the D-backs, and who's going to start at pitcher? Well, and, and I will say probably before we completely sign off on the podcast, we should at least give a score prediction for the Arizona-Colorado game, the oh, football yeah. game that's coming up. But um, as far as what to expect, um, I was uh, I was text messaging with my buddy uh, John, who is a who is a bartender at a local establishment here, and who's a huge baseball fan and big D-backs fan. And and uh, after the game, we were texting back and forth, and I said, "Yeah, it's too bad we don't have any arms left uh, to throw." And he had pretty much the perfect response. He said. Uh, Granky should be fresh, <laughs> which, you know, is a not-so-subtle dig at his outing and his early departure. And, unfortunately, I don't think baseball works quite like that, that if you don't go your, you know, your obligatory five or six innings that you're you're still going to be fresh to go because he still, you know, he, he still did his ritual and, and still, you know, threw hard and played. So, obviously uh, – you know, Grinky's not going to be ready, but it, it certainly is a, a fitting commentary on on the success of his last three starts. Honestly, I am I am banking on probably um, probably Robbie Ray. <laughs> he sure looks uh, sharp. Yeah, he he did he did look sharp, and I think. You know, a somewhat winded Robbie Ray. What's interesting is now, before before this wild card game, we talked so much about, you know, how deep Arizona's rotation is, and we've got more arms, and we and now suddenly we're talking about who's going to pitch. So there's, there's a there's a little bit of a tension there, but I think I think Robbie Ray, you know, kind of winded, um, is still probably going to be your best bet. But you know there was a good point on on one of uh, I, I was caught a little bit of um, around the horn on uh, ESPN and and uh, one of the uh, sports writers on that show made a good point that with with the D-backs putting up all these runs and with their success against left-handers and the fact that the Dodgers are throwing so many left-handers and the D-backs have won 11 of 19 against them, who cares about pitching? <laughs> You know? <laughs> I love that. I love it's that like, attitude. 
let's let's just have a home run derby and whoever can swing the hottest bat's gonna win and it's like oh, hey you just win. tell Robbie you just tell Robbie Ray, you you tell Archie Bradley, Hey dude, get out there, hit another triple. Uh if you give up a couple homers, that's all right, we got your back, you know, let's just do a replay. I'll tell you what, from a, from an excitement perspective, it'd be a fun game to watch. Oh man. I'm getting excited just hearing you talk about it. Uh, I like the idea of letting the letting the batters go. Uh, the D-backs have a really good matchup with the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers have very few teams they fear, but the D-backs are definitely one of them. Uh, I think Dodgers fans are nervous, and uh, D-backs are coming in on a high off this wild card. You know, we didn't have the low that the Dodgers had. We just kept playing baseball. And I think in baseball, of any sport, it's all about your rhythm, your timing, and where you're at. I, I give a lot of advantage to the D-backs headed into this one. I'm pretty excited. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, it's you know, it's going to be fun to see how this first game goes, but I do not think it – now, every time we say this and it's going to be a home run derby, it's like, let, let's do a score prediction because it could be a one-to-nothing uh, one game uh, tomorrow. I'm okay with that, as long as it's a D-back win. <laughs> Wait, so what's your score prediction here in uh, game one? This is the problem of, of doing score predictions for, you know, best of series because it's hard to, like, just do one. It, it, yeah, it no, that's down. fine. <laughs> I'm going to go 6-2 D-backs in game one. You're going to go 6-2? Yeah. I'm going to go I'm gonna go 3-2. Okay. I like it. As long as the D-backs are winning in their prediction. Yeah, watch it be 21 to 18. Yeah, it'd be amazing. It'd be a fun game to watch. Yeah. Okay, so how about how about the Buffs and the and the Cats? What what, what are we looking at there? What's going to happen there in Colorado? So, we haven't talked about this yet, but or maybe we did. I can't even remember. But, I mean, Arizona found a way to give up about 49 points, like leave 49 points on the field against Utah. I'm hoping with a week off and with a lot of mechanics being worked out, smoothed out, that Arizona's going to be able to score. I just have a feeling Arizona's going to score in this one. And so with that in mind, I'm going to say that Arizona's going to win this one. I don't think they're going to win many this year, but I think they're going to win this one. And they're going to win it 48-35. Hmm. So I'm going to go, I, I, I'm going to go with the win too, again, just because I'm I'm going to be a total homer and I don't want to ever be right for, you know, for predicting a loss. So I'm going to go with a 35 to 28 um, yep. factoring in that we're still going to miss opportunities, but man, I, I'm just going to hold out for Brandon, you know, Dawkins. I, I don't care if he throws for three yards for the whole game if he can just throw for a crucial completion of 10 yards when we need it, or maybe, you know, a 10 yard <laughs> touchdown or a run for a touchdown to give us the winning, you know, TD that, that means more than any stats in the world. Yep. It's all about that timely, timely delivery. And unfortunately, especially if you look at that Utah game, you rewind that puppy, you're looking at, wide open guys in the end zone you're looking at wide open guys in the flat 
you're looking at all kinds of wide-open peeps that he could not get the ball to. And, and really, we've lost both games simply because he could not throw a ball to a wide-open receiver. So Rich Rod's system is delivering guys in position to score to win, and Dawkins can't get him the ball. Right. Well, you know, he, he's, he, he seems like a really good kid. You, you want him to succeed. As a fan, you want him to succeed. So, yep. you know, maybe maybe the growing pains are over, you know, after you have a couple times where you you let the big moment get away. It's, you know, it's not weighing on you as much. And and the key is don't pull what no matter what happens, seriously, no matter what happens, you cannot pull Dawkins. If Dawkins is having a bad day, it's at some point you've got to just decide you're going with this guy, you know. And at yep. this point Dawkins is the guy. So don't if you get in there and he has a little bit of trouble and you start putting Tate in and then you go back to Doc, hey, you know, go ahead and get Tate in there, get them both in there at the same time a couple of times, but make it clear Dawkins is the guy, you know? Right. Yep, you got to have that. And Dawkins already has shaky confidence, so you've got you've to anoint him the guy. Right, because otherwise it's going to be easy to say, well, you know, I can, so the other guy has to shoulder it now. It's like you've got to make it so – Hey, buddy, this is your team. You got to take ownership, and we're gonna, you know, if the heat's getting turned up, you got to find a way to perform because it's going to be on you. Yep, I hear that. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see what holds up. But let's hope for an Arizona win in football. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be let's fun. For, yeah, a big fat D-backs win or two over the weekend in LA. Hey, if if we even take one, that's uh that's a win. I agree. It's a five game series though, you can't mess around. You gotta it's winning time. Well absolutely. But you know, gotta get back to those rowdy confines of uh of Chase Field and intimidate him with the that's right. with the thunder <laughs> with the thunderdome with the roof closed. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think that's time to wrap up Episode 8 of the Desert League. Uh, this is Ward Andrews from the North Bureau with Sean Fitzpatrick from the South Bureau. Have a great week. Go D-backs, beat L.A., and bear down. Have a great Pop Rocks-infused uh, week, Wildcat fans, Arizona fans.